Welcome to the inaugural Cracking Cybersecurity TICE podcast. I'm your host, Anna Delaney, editor here at TICE, and I'm delighted to be here with a topic that you may have heard a bit about over the past year, and that is, drumroll, GDPR. Yes, the General Data Protection Regulation, which is becoming law on May the 25th of this year. And yes, no doubt you're sick to death about the topic, but don't run away so fast, because who better to interview on the subject than Rowena Fielding, Senior Data Protection Lead at Protecture Limited. I met Rowena in her cosy office, ensconced in a quiet pocket of Mayfair, London, last week, and she gave plenty of useful information on the regulation, why there's no need to panic, as well as debunking a few GDPR myths along the way. I'll be back briefly at the end of the interview with a cybersecurity tip of the week, but for now, I hope you enjoy this podcast. So Rowena, not long now till the the GDPR deadline. Um, We've heard a lot about it over the past year. In your opinion, how prepared are UK companies? Uh, In my opinion, probably not as prepared as they should be. Um, Probably because a lot of what GDPR is bringing with it is not actually new. It's just a strengthening of the data protection laws we've had over the last 20 years. But unfortunately, those, uh, those last 20 years' worth of data protection laws haven't really taken a high priority in a lot of organisations. So there is a lot of compliance debt to catch up with. Um, and because GDPR requires organisations to be able to show evidence that they're doing all this stuff, um, it's not really going to be a case of sailing under the radar, doing the minimum possible anymore. So I think that's got a lot of people very worried, and they have a lot of catching up to do. So why why didn't they take high priority? Uh, oh, there's a question. Um, possibly because um, in the past, regulation of data protection law uh, hasn't been quite as fierce as it's anticipated to be under GDPR. Possibly also because... Um, Many organisations see this as a compliance burden and as a a cost and an administrative overhead um, rather than the way to get the best out of the data they have, organising it, managing it efficiently, being effective, um, having a competitive edge and keeping customers and employees happy. Um, I think that mindset is taking a long time to change. And do you see a difference between the larger companies and the smaller companies and how prepared they are? Mm, not really, to be honest. Um, I think they have their own uh, different sets of challenges. Certainly in, in larger companies, there's a lot more complexity. Um, there's a lot more people to go around to asking stuff of and asking them to do and coordinate. Uh, but in smaller organisations, there also perhaps isn't um, as... A mature governance structure and a risk management structure as larger organisations may have. So I don't think either type of organisation necessarily has it easier or easier or is better prepared. The organisations that are better prepared are the ones that have been being really diligent about their data protection responsibilities um, before GDPR came a thing. So I want to know about the GDPR myths out there. We've had a lot of scare stories. Just um, address the, the, the myths from the facts. Let's, let's, let's. Excuse me for a minute while I bang my head on the desk for a while. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of myths. In fact, there are so many and such pervasive myths 
that the Information Commissioner's Office have had to actually create a myth-busting blog to counter some of them. And the ones that we see coming up again and again are um, principally the, the assumption that you need to get consent for everything. And that is just so not true. Consent is only one of a number of options um, and it's very often not even uh, the most appropriate or can't even legally be obtained. So um, I would say certainly the, the number one myth is uh, about consent. Don't think of consent first, think of it last. Um, there are a few others. So um, the myth that all organisations need a data protection officer, uh, that's not true. There's specific criteria for needing a DPO. Organisations can choose to have one, um, but they don't necessarily have to have one. Um, other myths, let me see. So um, myths being that uh, GDPR only applies to data about EU citizens. It actually applies to data about people who are located in the EU or um, whether or not the organisation is offering goods, services, etc. to people in the EU. It's not about residency status. Um, that's a big one. And the one that is causing a lot of confusion is um, it's based on a, a cultural difference between American privacy law and European privacy law. So American privacy law mostly talks about this thing called PII, personally identifiable information. And European privacy law talks about personal data. And they're actually not the same thing. So personal data is much wider than PII. So PII, for example, are obvious identifiers like my name, um, my uh, social security number, that sort of thing. But personal data could be um, bits of data that by themselves could apply to anybody, but when you put them together in a mosaic, it, it adds up to identifiable information about a person. So an IP address is not PII, but it could be personal data. Same with a location um, or, um, for example, a combination of physical description um, ca uh, criteria. So that, that's a big one, and that's causing a lot of confusion, especially across the Atlantic. So you said that you might not need consent for everything. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. What do you definitely need consent for? You definitely need consent for sending electronic marketing unsolicited uh, messages to private individuals who haven't bought something off you. But that's not actually GDPR. That's a different law. Um, Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations 2003. Yes, it has been around for 15 years. Um, what GDPR does is just update the standard for um, the validity of consent and, and getting evidence for that consent. Um, another thing that you might need consent for is where there is simply no other uh, legal basis available. So if you are doing something that's that you don't have to do for a legal or contractual obligation, but you want to do because it's useful to you, um, but there is such a potential for impact on the individual's rights and freedoms that you can't really uh, claim a legitimate interest and do it anyway. You would have to lay it all out for them and get a positive indicator from them as to whether or not they agreed. So a lot of the um, tracking, profiling, surveillance type um, approaches that, that uh, are taken in the marketing sector really do need to be looked at again because 
um, it's, it's possible that a lot of them would only be lawful if done on the basis of consent. And on the consent note, I mean, we've heard a lot about GDPR being beneficial to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I've received a barrage of emails, you know, asking me to update my details, mm. um, you know, and they're not being very uh, helpful in explaining as to why. Um, so not only is it time consuming, but also they do look pretty similar. So I'm not sure mm. what's spam and what's not. Mm. Um, are we sure this is good for the consumer? Um, the well, the GDPR is all about fairness and lawfulness and transparency. So if uh, if you're meeting those principles and and doing things in a way that's designed to provide those things to people, then yes, it would be. Unfortunately, a lot of organisations perhaps they're getting bad advice, or perhaps they're looking for quick cosmetic fixes, uh, or, or taking a more of a box ticking than a than a belt and braces approach. The result of what they're doing is that they are actually making life harder for people out there, but also they're damaging their own brand. Um, Certainly as a data protection person, if I get an email asking me to update consent I never gave in the first place from an organisation who I haven't had any dealings with in 10 years, that says to me, this organisation does not understand their legal obligations and therefore I don't want to give them my data. I don't want them to have my data. Um, so this flood of please reconsent emails is um, <laughs> it's unfortunate and it's unnecessary, um, but there seems to be an awful lot of them, and a lot of them seem to be kind of um, representative of a sort of herd mentality. Or oh, everybody's doing this, therefore it must be the thing to do. Let's do it ourselves, which is sort of the opposite of what GDPR requires. You're supposed to take a step back, think, why am I doing what I'm doing? How do I do it in a way that meets the principles? Um, And then just in terms of good business sense and good customer service, how can I do this in a way that benefits the people um, who pay my wages, essentially? Uh, I don't think there's a lot of that happening, and I think the last-minute panic is probably um, a lot to do with that. The panic itself is, is also unnecessary, The Information Commissioner, Elizabeth Denham, herself said that this is not a deadline. It's not um, an end point in a race that you sprint across and then collapse and have a glass of water. Um, What it is, is a point on the horizon where the risk landscape changes. Um, So after the 25th of May, the GDPR work doesn't stop. It, It actually, that's where you start building your program of of mature data protection management. Um, The managing director of protection, Gary Shipsey, has a wonderful analogy. Um, So, and it's like, this is a GDPR pregnancy. The GDPR baby is born on the 25th of May. And as any parent knows, that's not when the work stops. That's when the work starts. And the idea is to raise your data protection baby to be a mature and responsible member of society. And I think that's a much better way of looking at it. You could also say, say the same about a marriage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, so, talking of panic, a lot of companies are running to third parties, specialists, to sort out, you know, their GDPR woes. Um, but at a hefty cost, apparently. Um, so, do you recommend a third party to come in? And secondly, how do you advise companies to 
to steer clear of, of the, mm, the charlatans out there? Well, I'm go- to, to the first one, I'm going to give the standard data protection person's answer, which is it depends. Um, so if you are in an organisation and you need expertise that you don't have access to in-house um, and you don't have the time or the resources to get somebody in-house trained up, then you may well want to seek uh, help from outside. Um, having said that, there is an awful lot of really good guidance uh, especially on the Information Commissioner's Office website, ico.org.uk, and some really good blogs as well explaining uh, data protection concepts. Um, One of the mistakes I see um, a lot around me is organisations trying to bring in uh, an outside party to, to do their thinking for them. And you, you just can't do that. The whole point of GDPR is that you have to make decisions about risk, you have to make uh, decisions about um, you know cost and state of the art and the rights and freedoms of the individual data subjects. You can't hire someone else to do your thinking for you. Um, so while outside expertise in particularly technical matters, so perhaps if you have a complex data sharing relationship or you've got some uh, pretty tricky contract terms, or you operate in a very complex legislative environment, such as um, anti-money laundering or a lot of education, health and social care, then you might want to bring in somebody who has a really deep understanding of how that interacts with data protection law. But I certainly wouldn't say that everybody needs to go out and hire a data protection consultant Um, As you've mentioned, there are people out there who are uh, giving advice on the basis of insufficient knowledge um, and causing uh, a lot of money to be spent unnecessarily and digging organisations into holes that they don't need to dig themselves into. So um, I would say that if an organisation is wondering whether or not they need support, go and have a look at the resources on the Information Commissioner's website first then have a sit down as a, as a group with you know, senior management and, and kind of really nail down what is it your organisation does and why and how. Look at where uh, the risks might be and the decisions are. And then if you need help um, making decisions um, about those risks and issues, call somebody in to advise, but don't expect them to do the work for you because that's simply not how it's, it's possible. Finally, three takeaway points that companies can do now if they're not GDPR ready. Okay, so uh, first of all, I would say um, map out your purposes of processing. Why are you processing personal data? And make those really as defined as you can. So, for example, sending email is not a purpose. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to send email. It's It's the reason I get out of bed. You send email for a particular reason. Um, So the content of the email is going to be different depending on that reason. So um, don't think of things that you do as the reasons why you do them. Keep taking a step back and saying, what is it I'm actually trying to achieve by doing this thing with this data? Because everything else comes from the purposes. You can't possibly begin to tackle privacy information or records retention, or even risk management, really, unless you've got your purposes nailed down. Secondly, I would say 
bear in mind the paperwork has to match reality. It is pointless having the shiniest, best written, most comprehensive policy in the world if nobody reads it, nobody understands it, and it bears no relation to what's happening day to day. If it should come down to a problem or a query or an investigation or a complaint, the reality will be what is looked at. Um, and if the paperwork doesn't reflect that reality, then you've wasted your time on the paperwork. So tackle reality first. Don't write documents and then expect things to, to magically start happening the way the documents say they should. And last of all, um, I would say don't obsess about technicalities until you've really taken a look at the big picture. And by the big picture, I mean essentially the spirit of data protection legislation is don't be a git. Don't be rude, don't be disrespectful, don't be abusive, don't be exploitative, don't be secretive. Um, if you're worried as to whether or not you, th you think what you're doing is fair, because there's no strict legal definition of what is fair, um, think about this. If you were to go out and describe it to someone on the street, would they think you were a git for doing it? And if the answer is yes, well, it's probably not fair. Um, so you don't need to worry about the legal definition. Just think, you know, am I being a git? Is this the right thing to do? Um, and um, a lot of, of GDPR technical conundrums um, can be avoided in the first instance just by applying the Git test. Um, and if I, if I can add a last one, I would say, <laughs> I would say, don't panic and don't give up hope. Um, the world is not going to end on the 25th of May. It's not going to be GDP Armageddon. Um, life will go on, but um, li that life going on needs to include um, embedding data protection as a way of, of being, a way of life, business as usual, into the organisation. And if you can do that, then in the long term, you shouldn't have anything to fear. Rowena, thank you so much for your clear advice. Thank you. Hello, it's Anna again. I hope you found that useful. We're very grateful to Rowena for her time. As ever, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us your cybersecurity questions or GDPR woes at Tice News on Twitter, or leave a comment in the podcast section of tice.co.uk. We welcome your thoughts, so please get in touch. Finally, I'm going to leave you with a cyber tip of the week, taken from a list curated by our very own Jeremy Swinfen Green, publisher and cyber security consultant at Tice, and here it is. Don't click on shortened URLs. You have no way of knowing where they might lead to. So there you have it. Even if it's from your mum, sending you a link, just don't do it. That's all for now. We'll be back next time with more cybersecurity wisdom. But for now, it's bye from us. <laughs>